Welcome to Cardboard Conjecture. We're a podcast about board games where we have opinions and conclusions formed on the basis of incomplete information. This episode of Cardboard Conjecture is brought to you by these great Saskatoon businesses. Amazing Stories Comics on 8th Street, Dragon's Den Games on 8th Street, and Breakout Escape Rooms on Faithful Avenue. Well, hello there. How's it going, eh? This is What You've Been Playing Wednesday, and this is a special weekly episode that's a compilation of all the board games that we've been playing recently. And on this episode are The Tabletop Bellhop, The Meeple Dungeon, Dice and Dragons, definitely a board game podcast, and Cardboard Conjecture. And please remember to check out the show notes for the links to the What You've Been Playing Wednesday cast. And as always, sit back and enjoy. Welcome to the Tabletop Bellhop segment of What You've Been Playing Wednesday. I am Mo Tuzano, the Tabletop Bellhop, your cardboard concierge, answering your gaming and game night questions and striving to make everyone's gaming experience better. If you've got a gaming or game night question, email it to me at questions at tabletopbellhop.com or visit our webpage at tabletopbellhop.com and click on Ask the Bellhop. You can also find me all over social media as tabletopbellhop, one word. Now, due to the Halloween episode last week, I'm going to be talking about two weeks worth of games. And boy, there are a lot of them. I had a couple of great weeks gaming-wise, getting in more games than I have since the whole pandemic thing started. Now, I'm going to try to get to them all, but I won't be sharing much about each as I won't have enough time otherwise. So first off, I've got Sentient from Renegade Game Studios. This came off my personal pile of shame and ended up being fantastic. This is a very interesting drafting and bidding game all about programming robots that was way thinkier than we expected. Like This is the perfect example of a game that is more complex than you expect when you sit down to play. My only disappointment so far with this game is learning that it is long out of print and I feel bad talking about the game so much now when you, no one can actually go get a copy. Next, we've been playing more Yardmaster, which I've mentioned in previous weeks, introducing it to a couple of our friends who also really enjoyed it. Sadly, this one is also out of print, but I do have some good news. I did learn you can get a free print and play of Yardmaster on Board Game Geek. That's right from the publisher. And it's definitely worth checking out. This is a great filler train game, especially when you can get it for free. Next were some games I played with my kids in preparation for tonight's live show, where Sean and I will be talking about great games for your team to toss into their backpack and bring to high school. These games included... Skull, the pressure luck game featuring coasters with awesome skull and flower artwork. Hanabi, the cooperative card game that introduced the mechanic of not being able to look at your own hand of cards. Breakdancing Meeple, a game where you literally roll meeples like dice, trying to get them to land in specific ways to complete dance routines. The Game, another cooperative card game, this time about playing all the cards into the deck into two into piles two piles of which are counting up and two piles of which are counting down. 
The Mind, which is similar to the game where players are trying to play cards in order, except in this version, you've only got one stack and you can't communicate with each other at all. And the big hit of the day of this game night I spent with my kids was Rumble in the Dungeon. This is a very quick and silly fantasy-themed hidden role game that my kids absolutely adored. Actually, they wanted to stop playing with that at that point and take the game up to the room where they came up with all kinds of variants and played this five to ten minute game for the next hour and a half. So the big hit of the day was Rumble in the Dungeon. Now getting to other games we played next, my wife and I got Super Motherload off of our pile of shame and tried it for the first time. Now, this is a very unique deck building game that people like to compare to Dig Dug, the classic video game. I really like the unique mechanics in this game, especially the way deck building where everyone had their own market to buy from instead of a central one. I thought that was very cool, but I'm not sure about the overall gameplay. So this is one we need to play a few more times. I'm thinking maybe it's just going to be better with more players before I share my final thoughts. Next up was something off the pile of obligation, and that was Land versus Sea which Good Games Publishing was awesome enough to send over for us to try out. Now, we've only played twice, but I can totally see this being a Carcassonne killer, at least at lower player counts. I can't wait to play more of this game. Super simple, learn it in two minutes, but wow, you start playing and you start realizing the different patterns and the ways you can cut each other off and how many different things you have to watch at once. Really impressed by it so far. Looking forward to way more Land vs. Sea, and I'll eventually be sharing my thoughts on that in a few more weeks when I can get some more gameplays. Then my wife and I had an interesting date night experience playing through the short adventure in the Veil Dancer Hero set for Aventuria. Now this is an 18 plus, not safe for work, one chapter adventure for the Adventuria adventure card game, which I've mentioned many times in the show before, we're huge fans of Adventuria. And I gotta say, um, without say, spoiling too much, this didn't go as well as we had hoped. Now I'll be sharing my full thoughts on that on tonight's live show. So tune in on Twitch night, 8 p.m. Eastern, if you are curious about this adult card game expansion. Finally, we've been playing a ton of Roll Camera the filmmaking board game. Now, just yesterday on Tuesday, I published my written review. And along with that, we launched a roll camera giveaway. This is gonna be running for three weeks. It's open to all of Canada and the continental US and includes one retail copy of Roll Camera, the filmmaking board game, which I've gotta admit we have been loving. You can read about that in the review. Now, for more info on this game, read the review or just tune into last week's Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast episode, or do both. Both is good. Well, that's it for a couple of busy weeks gaming for me. Find lots more great gaming content at tabletopbellhop.com and on our weekly podcast, which drops Tuesday mornings at 2 a.m. I also invite you to join us for brunch on Sundays at 1 p.m. Eastern on YouTube. That's an unscripted show where we talk geekery and gaming. For the Tabletop Bellhop Gaming Podcast, I am Mo Tuzno, the Tabletop Bellhop. Good night and game on. Hello, I am A. Aaron Millich. And I'm Royce Calverly. And we are definitely a board game podcast. A podcast definitely about board games, except when they're not. And we're back on What You've Been Playing Wednesday, Royce. What you been playing on Wednesday? I've been playing a game that might have been a mistake. Oh, no. I really enjoyed it. 
Okay. And that might be part of the mistake. Oh. I have been playing my very first 18xx game. Finally. Yeah. Yeah. So over the over just before the uh, pandemic began, I was saying, okay, I'm going to start getting into 18xx. I want to try it. For anyone who doesn't know, 18xx games are a series of games that are train games where you're running and operating trains, but you're also uh, buying stock and selling stock and all this sort of thing. And they are heavy lifestyle type games. The people that tend to be really into 18xx games get really deep into 18xx games. They tend to really enjoy it. And I've been meaning to explore this area of the hobby for a while. Mm. So I finally got a chance to play one. I wanted to play in person. I know there's a great online site, but I wanted to play in person. And Chris and uh, Nahar, they were nice enough to teach me how to play and get me out. And we played 1889, History of the Shikoku Railways. Right. Uh, so this is by Yatosoku Akeda and Deep Thought Games. It was originally published in 2004. 1889 is probably one of the smallest, one of the best introductory games for 18xx experience. It only took about four hours to play. Um, yeah, that's small for an 18xx wow, game. Four hours. Yeah, and it's just it's an amazing interactive game where you are buying trains and running your routes and uh, laying track and buying stock and selling stock and trying to invest in other people's companies and start your own companies. And it, it's just an all around experience. It's just an amazing game. I'm a little concerned because this could be one of those rabbit holes I'm going to disappear down into. <laughs> but it was such a great experience. I can't wait to play it again. Uh, if you want to know, I went on to about this in great detail in our episode that actually dropped yesterday. So if you want to know more about this, check it out. Uh, 1889 history of the Shikoku railways, uh, just such an amazing game. The 18 XX experience is just, it's almost undescribable how much is involved, but I do my best on our show. And also on that show, I mentioned a game in quick thoughts as well. And this gives a perfect example of Royce and I as gamers. Uh, his game took four hours to play. Uh, mine took 30 minutes to play. Mine is a filler game called Nanga Parbot from Steve Finn, Dr. Finn's games came out last year, or sorry, this year. And uh, I got it in a, a Kickstarter with three other games from him. This was the one I was most excited about, and it really is great. Uh, it's a two-player game, and basically uh, you are you start the game with a little board of, of a mountain with different regions, and you put animals, little cute wooden meeple animals all over uh, the mountain, and you exchange those animals with your own hikers. And depending on uh, where you put your hikers and where you build camps, uh, when requirements are met, you get points. And you generally want to be the first one to get there because you get you know, every single uh, point marker. You can only go to one. So if your, part, your opponent gets there before you do, then you will lose out. Where the game gets really interesting and where I think Royce is going to be better at this than I was is every animal has its own special power and you can use these animals to do more on the board and gain more points. And this was a very close game in score. 
So I have a feeling being able to use those animals effectively is how you're going to uh, totally squash your opponent if that's possible in this game. <laughs> but lots of fun. Uh, great looking game as always. Production's amazing. The animals are cute. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. And uh, yeah, really enjoyed Nanga Parbat from Dr. Finn. Excellent. Yeah, I'm looking forward to trying that one. I, I've been pretty happy with most of the Dr. Finn games, so I'm kind of excited. I think you'll like it a lot, yeah. So if you want to hear more about Nanga Parbat or 1829, go visit. A lot more about 1829. I talked for a long time. Yeah, yeah almost four hours. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go to Definitely Board Game Podcast. Uh, you can find us wherever podcasts live, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And if you ever want to talk to us, definitelyboard at gmail.com, at board definitely on Twitter, at definitelyboard on Facebook. And we have a guild, Definitely Board Game Podcast on Board Game Geek. You can find us there. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, Royce, is there anything else before we go? Not a thing. Say goodbye, Royce. Goodbye, Royce. Bye, everybody. What up, gamers? I'm Jason. I'm Julie, and together we're Dice and Dragons. You can find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram at Dice and Dragons, and on Twitter at Dice and Dragon. And what is it today, Julie? It's What You've Been Playing Wednesdays. And we were hoping to talk about Assassin's Creed Brotherhood of Venice, but that's going to be coming shortly. Don't worry, we promise. Uh, for this week, we will be talking about Lords of Waterdeep, which is designed by Peter Lee and Rodney Thompson, and is published by Wizards of the Coast, and it is, for those of you that are in the know, a Dungeons and Dragons based game. It takes place in the city of Waterdeep, located in the Forgotten Realm setting on the world of Faerun, and instead of being the typical adventurer, the wizard, the cleric, and going on missions for the lords and getting your just rewards. At this point, you are vying for control of the city of Waterdeep by taking control of a faction. You'll be dealt a random lord. You will then be using your agents to place at different locations on the board to gather your resources and score the most points. Did I miss anything at all, Julie? I don't know. Do I get to talk now? Yes. I'm just kidding. And you know what? It's a fighting words. It's a yeah, especially after playing a competitive game. Uh, it is a competitive game uh, for two to five players, and it plays in about sixty minutes. So we played it uh, this weekend uh, with some people who aren't. Uh, we wouldn't call themselves gamers, but do enjoy. They like. They really enjoy board games. They've got a nice collection. They love Catan. Yes, and they don't play games regularly like us. However, this one went over very, very well. Well, it went over well. I wouldn't say it went over very, very well. Uh, anyways, I wait. say very, very well because they do want to play it again and. We were able to teach and get a first play going and actually complete the game in the, you know, allotted playtime of about 60 minutes. And uh, Jason, for the record, who won the game? You won the game. And did I just squeak by? No, she won handily. She used her lord very well. She scored a lot of points and I could have done better. I went for the Hail Mary at the end, and I did not get the quest that would have gotten and me a little closer. And the Hail Mary closer. didn't even help me. It, it didn't do anything no. to help me either. 
There were uh, a few things I could have done differently, and I got hindered a bit, but Julie played it perfectly. That She got like the score that I got on my last game when I played it really well, so kudos to her. You are the victor. You are the lord of Waterdeep for now. Yeah. Well, I, honestly, I mean, this is a game that you can definitely, uh, you know, hinder other people's games. You can really mess things up and... Uh, you know, play uh, play a more uh, how can I say in your face type of game. I I just played my own game, and so did you know most of us. Um, I think Jason was itching a little bit to to you know to be that uh, arch nemesis and, and no. throw a counter cup. I think you wanted to, but everybody was specifically talking about how they wouldn't play the. No, I wish some people would have played some of their mandatory quests because it's part of the game. And since you typically usually complete maybe one or two quests on your turn and you've got two to three agents, it's not that big of a deal. It does slow down the resources. It would have balanced the game out a little bit, but... I'll be honest, I only got one mandatory quest, so it's not like I could have been playing it on everyone. I, I only got, got one, late. too, and I would have played it against you, and since everybody decided to be decent, I decided not to play it. <laughs> See, you got to stop doing that, though. It's a competitive game. you got to slow down the competition when it makes sense. I didn't need to. I knew I was running away with it. Uh-huh. So this is one of these games that Jason and I say, Jason loves playing these games. So, you know, we play, we try to play more competitive games where it's not really in your face. When we're playing four players, it's not as bad, uh, you know, but... Uh, this isn't really in your face besides the mandatory quests. Now, we did not play with any of the expansions. That's why I want to be clear. When you play with the expansions, from what I understand, it can get a lot more in your face. You you made plays based on what you thought I needed to try to block me from getting it. So you were well in any game, any competitive game. If someone's gonna drop twenty five points on the board, you try to make it not as easy for them. But see, I think my point is you can I can prove that playing your own game and not worrying about what the others are doing works just as well too in some uh, situations. In some situations, but that was a situation where we all were not using our heads and we kept feeding you way too many mages that just let you run away with the game because we kept using your building we really should have reconsidered using that location as much as we did especially with the glut of warriors that a lot of us had at the end of the game so all this to say it was a competitive game we had fun i will not be playing this with jason uh, two players, except that he wants to do that for the review. So we'll see. Uh, we may try to find a way to get another two players to play it because I really do think it would be better for us if we're not playing uh, one-on-one uh, for well, this game. It's, it's not that bad, really. Besides the mandatory quests, you're really not in each other's face. But if we play the expansions, I'd agree with you. I don't think that would go over very well in this household. Now, I got the opportunity to play, uh, as we did have uh, some guests, to play the original Horrified uh, with my brother. It was a lot of fun. We managed to just squeak out a victory on standard. I forgot just how annoying the, annoying the creature from the Black Lagoon is and eats so many of your items. And I really wanted to play it also to give a little bit of of commentary and I thought I'd do a video on it but I don't really think there's all that much to say about it in particular. What re what I really want to say is that when you're comparing American Monsters to the original, they are very much identical games. What's really going to change is the monsters, your investigators, everything is, there might be some very 
tiny minor differences, but overall they're the they're an identical game. So just pick the theme that you like the most and go go with that. You really don't need both in the collection unless you love the game uh, like we do. So having that extra variety of monsters, I mean, I might actually just store everything all in one box because I don't see us getting rid of Horrified uh, anytime soon and it's just give us a little bit more room. But yeah, that's all I really want to say about the game. Horrified or American Monsters, they're pretty much identical except for the monsters themselves. So on that note, I don't really think there's anything else we need to add. We just should remind you all to keep, keep playing games. Hello everybody, it's Rob and Anna-Marie from the Meeple Dungeon. Hello! And we're back again recording for the What You've Been Playing Wednesdays podcast, and today we have one game to talk about. What's that, Anna-Marie? That game is God's Love Dinosaurs, designed by Casper Lapp uh, and published by Pandasaurus Games. And the, the art I will uh, butcher, but it's uh, Gisa Tam? G- yeah, Gisa Tam G- or Gika Tam? Not, Not sure, sure the pronunciation, but, but yeah. Yeah. Gods Love Dinosaurs from Pandasaurus Games. This is another game from Pandasaurus that we are late to the table with and <laughs> um, only just got to play recently. And yeah, it was definitely worth the wait. It's a really cool, abstracty, I don't know, tile placement, <laughs> weird kind of game going on here. So I in, think this one's almost fair to call a mishmash. Yeah, it's very abstract in that you're you're placing down these tiles in, in weird ways to get certain items onto the board and stuff but yeah let's talk about it here so in this game you are you're growing the uh environment like the habitat yes so you start with like your starting tile which is going to have a nest with uh for your dinosaur nest and then it's going to have three starting spots of jungle uh lakes and grasslands and they're going to have a frog a rat and a rabbit starting on your board and you are going to, um, you also have a starting nest of eggs, dinosaur eggs, with f- three or four. I think three. I think you have three. And you're going to be pulling tiles on your turn off of the main board, and you're going to be taking habitat from there, and you're going to be adding it to your board. So you're going to, say, grab one from the first row, and there's uh, five rows, five, I think, because there are three, six rows. four, five, six. Yeah, six. Yeah. The, there's a rabbit row, rat row, frog row, tiger row, eagle row. And T-Rex row. Columns, but yes. I think. They're up and down. Oh, no, the T-Rex is on the bottom, so there's only five. (laughs) Yeah, the T-Rex is walking around. Yeah, Yeah, so (laughs) there's only five rows. But you're going to be pulling a a tile from one of those five rows. And in a two-player game, there's only two tiles per row. So we're going to pull one of those, and you're going to add it onto your your little playboard, and you're going to put it, it, orient it in any way you want. It's basically two hexes attached together. And they can be two of the grasslands, two of the water, two of the jungle, one of the grasslands with one of the water. They kind of just are at random. They get thrown out at random, yeah, Yeah. to a degree anyway. There's kind of stacks of of numbers, but yeah, yeah, they're relatively random. So you're going to place those out, and you are going to, if it has a picture of, like, a rat on it you're going to throw a rat down onto the board when you place that down otherwise you're just kind of placing this however you want you're going to kind of want to keep your different habitats together Together if you can because down the line it just makes more sense and the reason that makes more sense is every time that a row is emptied of their their uh tiles say it's the rabbit row it's going to trigger the rabbits 
And the rabbits, if that's the, the road, they, that multiply, they multiply like rabbits like do. Rabbits, yes. <laughs> and um, each rabbit on the board is going to try to multiply by one in in onto the same uh, like habitat, yes. like grass onto grass sort of yeah. thing. So if you have a, a a lake beside your grass, your rabbit, and that's your only place you can go, the rabbit won't multiply. That's right. It can yeah. only go on its on its own native. Like yeah. land. So the way, uh, so th- that's the same, works the same for the rats, the rabbits, and the frogs yes. in that way. But then if you ever empty the row of the tiger, you all tigers on your board are going to eat. They're going to hunt. They're called one. Of, they're called the predators, and so are the eagles. Eagles and tigers are predators. They're the going to eat prey. the prey. Yeah, so they're going <laughs> to, uh, you're going to move your tiger on your board to... Uh, up to two spots, and it's yes. got to eat something. And it'll eat one of those prey, hopefully. Yes. And if it doesn't, it starves and dies. And that would be bad for you. And then he's off your board. Yeah. The eagles operate similar way where they're going to be able to move three spots, but only in a straight line. And they're going to hopefully eat as you know as, as well. much as they can as well um, without. So, yeah, if it, you have to plan this out because if, the, in, if there's no prey within a straight line of your eagle, and the eagle column fires up yes you're gonna lose your eagle and that's it's where starve. the the other player comes into play because they can be like "Ooh, you've got an eagle and your eagle cannot eat right i am not letting that, that fire row, up and right? i'm gonna take those yeah. tiles so on top of that every time you empty one of those rows uh you're gonna check at the bottom because there's actually a t-rex row at the bottom who's gonna be moving horizontally along the board and if he is underneath the row that you empty out T-Rex is going to fire up as well, and he's going to want to eat. And he's going to be able to move five spaces in any direction, but he has to end up on a mountain tile. So the mountain tiles also come out attached to these hexes. Right. But there's not nearly as many of them available. So you kind of have to... Your starting tile is always a mountain. So you can end up back on the same starting one. Like, you can move around and back. The benefit of not, if you have another mountain tile out, is that if um, if you have an egg in your nest... And you, your T Rex goes around and eats either a tiger, well, anything. The tiger could, yep. no, if the tiger eats a predator. So if the tiger eats a, ti- uh, sorry, if the, the T Rex eats a tiger or an eagle, you get um, an egg. You get an egg. Uh, and then w- if you have an egg when uh, the T Rex um, fires, n- but not the T Rex isn't in your main spot. Yeah, because that's where your nest is. Yeah, so there's it, like your starting tile where the nest yeah, is. If, if your T-Rex, T-Rex has moved off of there is what she's trying to say. Yes, my goodness, um, I'm having some struggling <laughs> today, guys. The, Sorry. As long as you don't have a T-Rex on your starting tile. You hatch and, a T-Rex is what I'm saying. Yeah, and the one of your T-Rex, <laughs> you have two T-Rex. one of the other predators, which is the only way you get more eggs. Um, you'll, you'll add egg to your nest. But you can also trade in an egg at any time, as long as there's no T-Rex on that space, to get another T-Rex. So you're going to want to start to add a lot more of these mountain tiles to that area or onto your board so that you can move T-Rexes out so you can create more T-Rexes and they move around the board eating the predators. So yeah, the whole point of the game is to get your T-Rexes to eat the predators um, to gain more eggs because eggs are your victory points and that's it. But you need the predators to stay alive by eating prey. So yeah, need, that's a you, tough one, getting, yeah, getting predators, because they, um, they don't multiply like the others. They only come out well, when their tile the comes tile. out. Yeah, but uh, They don't multiply at all. Yeah. It's just you, if you get a, a tiger tile, great, you throw them out there. And that's the only way you get points. T-Rex eats the predators, predators eat the prey. And you got to keep that yeah. system going. <laughs> it's, it's a loose theme, but it's fun. It's a loose theme, but yeah, it's a fun, <laughs> silly game. 
Uh, another really well, and it's a thinker too, really. So it is. You I, do, I do think about it. it. It's yeah. It's a cool one though. But whoa, we're out of time here. So we are going to run. You can check our podcast out. We're going to have another episode out this week with another review from the Meeple Dungeon. But yeah, we got to run. We'll see you next week. Bye bye. See ya. Cheers. Hey there, it's Norm from the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers here in Saskatoon. And uh, let's get to it. Let's go to the Facebook page and see what the community has been playing. Well, I, uh, I see Lorne has uh, Gaslands. I should have brought more guns. <laughs> Gaslands is, if anybody doesn't know, Gaslands is really cool. It's kind, think of... Um, Wings of Glory or X-Wing, where you have these combats and your vehicles move uh, via templates that you have. And then there's dice rolls in regards to, uh, um, uh, you know, what armaments you use and also skid patterns. It's pretty cool. It's it's, uh, a game that I want to get going because it looks so cool on the table where it's kind of like a demolition derby gone insane. Uh, Let's move on. Zach uh, hasn't hit the table yet, but picked up Prophecy of Kings expansion on Friday. Cracked it open and super pumped for a big game. And then right after that, uh, Ryan and Zach went into deep conversation about the game. Uh, Moving on to Jason. Uh, Jason says, we played Hadrian's Wall cribbage letter jam viticulture and point salad this week oh yeah hadrian's wall i want to try that one uh dave keeps telling me that it's a really good game if i like uh um uh fleet the dice game and i love that game that whole idea of cascading combinations that intrigues me that's why i want to play that uh cribbage a classic i love cribbage that's pretty much uh i remember Learning cribbage when I was in grade six. Uh, letter jam, uh, that's uh, of interest to me. Viticulture, love me some viticulture. And point salad, probably the the best uh, engaging, repetitive game that you could you could put on the table for anybody, anybody. Uh, moving on, Travis, Lords of Waterdeep, Railroad Tycoon. Uh, now railroads, railways of the world, uh, Puerto Rico, a couple of games of Hansa Teutonica, yes, very fun and deep, uh, considering the pretty simple rules and a few games of Xbox 360. Seen it? Okay, well we'll let that we'll let that one we'll let that one come in. Um, Lords of Waterdeep, yeah, great worker placement game. Railroad Tycoon, um, yeah, uh, railways of the world. Uh, yeah, that's an awesome pickup and delivery game. Puerto Rico, classic. And uh, like I said, Hansa Teutonica, probably one of my favorite Euros in regards to uh, networking and uh, just that whole, just, yeah, just the way you can build your, your tableau in, uh, in the dimensions of what you can do in the game. So yeah, good. that was a great lineup. Well done, well done. Uh, Hans, Terraforming Mars, we should just chisel that one in stone. Um, Cryo, Lahav, I love Lahav. Uh, Hallertau, 
Point Salad and Coimbra. Um, Cryo, I think the Luke Laurie, I think that's a Luke Laurie game. And if it's a Luke Laurie game, then it has everything to do with worker placement. Just conjecture there, right? Um, and uh, like all of those choices, Hallertau, yeah, Uwe Rosenberg, that, uh, that's always intrigued me, but I have not yet um, done the research or paid any much attention to it. But it's one of those games I want to get to for sure. And Coimbra, oh, great dice game. Uh, Tim played some Warhammer Underworlds. That's, that's part of his repertoire, digging it. And Wingspan, great engine builder. Beautiful art by uh, Beth Sobel, uh, if you like birds, or if you like engine building. I mean, this is a great game. Great game. Tim, uh, lots of wingspan. <laughs> yeah, no, no, nothing wrong with that. Eli played some Sushi Go Party and some Imperium Classics. Uh, I understand Imperium Classics has a really good solo mode, so you count me intrigued. And Sushi Go... What a, that's such a fantastic card drafting game. Uh, Ryan of the Cardboard Conjecture Podcast and Bridge City Board Gamers in Saskatoon um, played some Marvel Champions Mad Titans Showdown campaign expansion, which is odd because, you know, he rarely talks about Marvel. <laughs> uh, John played a Apocalypse Road. I have not heard of that Gonna be doing some research. Um, Scott played uh, as missed last week again, so another two weeks worth for me. Four-player escape plan over the last weekend, and um, do 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 some uh, three-player brass Lancashire the weekend before. Yeah, that's a great game, and four-player Marvel Champions on Thursday evening. That would be. That would be crazy. I play solo or two-player. I can't even wrap my brain around four-player. That, that'd be just off the charts. Uh, Garth uh, had a lot of fun playing a couple of games of Black Angel. Yes, that's a, that's a great game. It's kind of like Trois in Space. Um, surprised this isn't more popular. I know, right? Right? Played Wingspan and Steampunk Rally 2. Uh, Learning Guy Project and Root Through Steam Digital. Yeah, yeah, those are, take your time learning those ones. That's, those are some deep, crunchy seminar classes up, uh, up next for you. Um, Marianne played, I believe she played some Louis the Fourteenth. Oh, great. That's awesome. Yay. I think that's, uh, yeah, Rudiger Dorn, who, who puts together such fantastic games. Right on. Right on. Well, that's a, that's a great lineup for the, uh, what the community's been playing. Um, I have uh, had the opportunity last week on our regular Wednesday game with uh, Dave and Jordan. Uh, Dave bored on the air. Um, Shay not, was not there, but we do with, with Shay and Jordan and Mel, um, uh, the Stevenson family. Uh, I, uh, I, I DM them in a regular every two week uh, campaign in uh, D&D 5e. So yay. But on Wednesdays, we do some board games and uh, we played a war of whispers. 
uh, designed by Jeremy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna just like <laughs> rattle this uh, right, your last name here, Jeremy Stoltzfus. I tried. I'm sorry. Uh, d- uh, published by Starling Games, and uh, I'll I'll read the bit, the little intro, and then I'll just go into how cool this game is. So, A War of Whispers is a competitive board game for two to four players. Five mighty empires are at war for the world, but you are uh, you are no mighty ruler. Instead, you play a secret society that is betting on the results of this war, uh, while putting strings, uh, pulling strings, to rig the results and ensure their bets pay off. War of Whispers is a game of deep strategy, hidden agendas, and shifting loyalties. This game is so much fun. Uh, I caught wind of this game as uh, <laughs> a lot of people do, uh, through a shut up and sit down review. And uh, um, I have a past uh, where I've played lots of risk. And like I'm talking lots of risk. And uh, so much so that it, you know, no more. <laughs> um, but the idea of, of, of this scenario interested me. And when they discussed that it's, you know, it's, it's a conflict, global domination, you know, uh, 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 idea on the map, but it's not that from the player's perspective, because from the, as it says, you're, you're a faction or a society that plays behind the scenes that whispers in the ears of all the leaders and all the advisors, because in the middle of the table is this cool round board and, uh, the map kind of this round, uh, um, spherical type of, uh, of, uh, map where these five domains or empires are interconnected and there's always uh, um, one empire is connected to two and how that works is that um, you're going to have one in the middle and there's not that there's a balance thing because the cards and the deployment uh, help balance the ratios of uh, of borders and and you know (laughs) being in a bad situation so how it works is you have four rounds which is fantastic because it uh, cascades quite quickly at the end. And uh, so you you do your turn according to the empires because what you do is you have these little advisor tokens that you place on the board uh, kind of whispering in the ears of different people of different empires. So um, as the round starts, uh, I, I believe you go to the bear empire and... Uh, what you do is on your turn, you get to decide where you're going to put your your uh, advisor. And if, I don't want to get too deep into it because where you put it uh, influences how many turns that you get. And these, all these, it's all similar to each empire that it comes down to. You are able to put they call them banners, but they're they're little you know army cubes. You put uh, more army cubes on, or you uh, take cards, or you attack. And uh, those combinations help you move the influence around the board. And on the board are these places called cities. And if you occupy a city, that's where these points come. Because here's the cool thing. The player board, each person has um, these little round chits that on one side has a symbol of the empires. And you randomly... Um, shuffle them and put them face down so that nobody can look, but you can have a peek. And from left to right is the point scoring for the end of the game, where on the far left is 
for every city counts four points. And then I believe the next one is every city counts uh, three points, two points, zero, and then minus one. So as you randomly put these into place, you have to look at, okay, these are my point getting empires. And I have to, you know, you start off with a base amount of cities. So to get more points, you have to expand and you have to invade. And you're pushing this push-pull of, of political and, and military might around the board is so cool because the cards are the crazy part that comes in. As always, the rule breakers, the, when these cards come into play, um, you have standard uh, uh, benefits according to kind of the thematic relationship to uh, the faction, like the horse faction, you get to move armies all over the place. Uh, other factions, you get to um, bring in more support, right? So there's there's that, th I would, yeah, I would say thematic connection uh, relevant to the position on the board and the connection to the other empires. So, uh, yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm just glowing over this game. Uh, this is one of those games where the more you play with the same people that you start to get deep into this game, the, the things that we learned after playing just two games um, was not to be offended by, and it's not even to take that idea because you're not invested in these countries. You're invested in the performance on the board and what they're accomplishing, but um, it's not an attack to you. You just have to move and shift uh, all this influence around. So what we, what I had noticed, first of all, was that, yeah, you can play to your agenda, but you also have to pay attention to what the others are doing and what empires they're trying to control, support, um, and also... What other empires, like the ones in the minus one, um, the the ones that are, are just getting uh, um, attacked or just pounced on? So it's a lot of paying attention to the player. Not that that's a meta thing, but paying attention to the nuances that they're uh, able to show you on the board. You know, like like a poker table, you can only watch what they're doing, right? Um, that's the part that interests me the most is is that whole player interaction because it's it's on a it's on a you know three levels down from from surface so yeah yeah I'm I'm really having fun with that one and I can't wait to get it back on the table um, so yeah that was War of Whispers and uh, if you like that kind of um, strategy game and and outwit your opponent. The, uh, the uh, yeah, you should give this a try totally. And uh, that being said, I want to thank everybody for uh, having to listen to what we have to say about the games we've been playing. And uh, thank you so much to the contributors. Um, it's just such a pleasure to put this together and listen to what everybody's been playing. And of course, we've got to finish with keep your stick on the ice and take care out there, eh? <laughs>